0: Welcome to the Preach and Persuade Podcast. My name is Sam Parada, and I'm here again with Cody Weckerly and Adam Nesvold. We're continuing our series on ecclesiology, and we've done two episodes now where we first talked about the definition of the church. What is the church? What is the ontology of the church? And then we did an episode—well, it was one episode, and I split it up into two, so if you've listened to those two already, well then great. Uh, So, We've been saying that this will be the second episode, but this is really going to be the third. And this is on the relationship between Israel and the church and the relationship between the church and the kingdom. A lot of those – this this whole discussion can get really convoluted and confusing. Uh, sometimes people and theologians have equated like almost like one for one for one Israel, church, kingdom and have, haven't really – fleshed out any distinction between them. Uh, And so this really, this whole discussion is a discussion really about the discontinuity and continuity between the Testaments, between the Covenants, uh, between the Covenant communities. This is a discussion on the relationship between the Covenants. This is a discussion on what we might call theological systems. uh, And really, maybe you've heard before the idea of Covenant theology and dispensational theology. Uh, Just to kind of paint a picture for you a little bit, if you can visualize in your mind a spectrum, and on one far side of the spectrum you have uh, like a Christian Reconstructionist theonomy, uh, hyper-covenantal theology. We might even call that post-millennial theology, all that's kind of on the far end of a spectrum, on the spectrum. And then on the way other side of it is what we call classical dispensationalism, which has this hyper-dualistic view where Israel uh, and and the church are two totally distinct people with two tracks of salvation. Uh, and they'll inherit a different kingdom in a sense, kingdom of heaven, and and kingdom on earth. And and then you have had people lately who have been putting forth mediating positions, and classical dispensationalism, you know, founded in the mid 1800s, really uh, has been kind of going, backstepping a little bit, back towards the covenantal end of things, and it went through revised dispensationalism. Uh, Ryrie uh, was a big advocate of revised dispensationalism in the mid-20th century, and then at the late 80s, early 90s, you have uh, at, at the gathering of an ETS meeting, I can't remember the exact date now, but... Some, some dispensationalist theologians got together at the, at the Evangelical Theological Society, and they had a breakout session, and they, they really came up with and promoted this idea of progressive dispensationalism. And so progressive dispensationalism is right on the fence just before you're going to jump over to covenant theology. And then you have other guys on the covenantal side who have gone right up to the fence, and they've advocated for a position called progressive covenantalism. Uh, both are kind of hitting on this progressive idea, uh, really progressive revelation, that God has progressively revealed his plan, this one plan, um, over the course of different covenants, but it's progressing towards this fulfillment. And and both progressive dispensationalism and progressive covenantalism are are keen into that idea. So, yeah, when it comes to the relationship between Israel and the church— we're gonna be coming from just over the fence on the dispensational side. I would call myself a progressive dispensationalist. Cody, I think you would. Adam, I don't know what you would call yourself progressive revised in the middle of there, somewhere in there, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: I think I'm probably a little bit a little bit further into the dispensational side than yeah. than, than the two of you. Yeah, I think so. That's fair. <laughs> but
0: nonetheless, like uh just so you guys know as you're listening like baptist theology, like baptistic theology, baptistic ecclesiology it fundamentally believes in a position it's a it's a position of discontinuity, meaning there is there is distinction between the old covenant and the new covenant. There is a distinction between Israel and the church. That's why we immerse believers who have professed faith in Christ. And we'll talk more about this when we get to the ordinances and our and the Baptistic practice of, of baptism uh, as the new covenant sign, um, but because we see discontinuity and distinction, obviously, then we're not we're not baptizing our infants like Presbyterians would, who have a position of you know more continuity uh, because they're they're coming from a position of covenant theology. So hopefully, a, that's a lot. That's a big kind of dump right now, but hopefully that. That makes sense. So again, we're coming from a position of discontinuity, and obviously, we're going to try to make our case here. That's this kind of what we're going to do. We're we're making the case in this episode that the church is not Israel, and that they are distinct, and and that the church is not necessarily the kingdom, though it is an aspect of the kingdom. Uh, it it certainly the new covenant community, the new covenant member um, is a citizen of the kingdom but the church is not one for one the kingdom the church is not one for one israel these things are distinct and we're going to try to <laughs> as best as we can do um uh, try to flesh that out a bit and and give our thoughts and make our case for what, what we believe so
1: yeah if i can just clarify yeah. one thing though so i um it, i think it's important to clarify that um well while well, you're right like uh, from a baptistic perspective you know we we do see discontinuity uh, there are m- quite a few baptists i mean there, there are many baptists who who do see um a lot of continuity in this area and um who do fall on the covenantal side yeah um of of this so i i just think that's worth pointing out that you know it's it's not it's not a one-for-one one that if you're Baptist, you will be on the dispensational side. Right, right. Um, I, think, um, I think Pastor Cody's good friend, uh, Dr. Ben, who we, who we mentioned earlier, um, said something that was really brilliant. Being Baptist means nothing and everything at the same time. <laughs> yeah. Very true. That's a good word.
0: Yeah. Do you have any thoughts, Cody, before we dive in? just by way of introduction?
2: (laughs) Uh, Maybe just that uh, I'm encouraged uh, by the scholarship that we get to benefit from. Yeah. And uh, we talk about reformed and always reforming. And uh, when it comes to eschatology and our understanding of future things, uh, it seems like that has been uh, an area of theology that has been under construction and uh, constantly being revisited in the last 20 years, especially, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps more than other areas of theology uh, have, because, you know, you look at Church history, and there have been a lot of battles that have already been fought, and, you know, the the lines have kind of been drawn up, and, you know, things have been clarified, and I would say that uh, we have benefited from a time of peace, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just in terms sure. of world history, right, <laughs> that now uh, we're able to focus on this area of eschatology and uh I don't know. I'm thankful for it. There's definitely things I'll just say on the outset that I'm still thinking through. Yeah. Uh you know, so yeah, I'm in the progressive dispensational camp. Um but as I have learned more about this progressive covenantalism, uh there's just questions I have and things that I find very interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. This is a this is a very lively like discussion going on right now among the scholars. Like these things are being fleshed out right now as we speak. Mm-hmm. This we're not just you know dredging up works that were written you know five six hundred years ago. Like the scholarship is happening right now, and and my dissertation will even kind of dip into this whole discussion too. So it th- yeah, there's a lot being published right now on this stuff. Yeah, Gentry and Welms' big thick book, Kingdom Through Covenant, that's a big player in the discussion. That's kind of the main uh, defense for progressive covenantalism. Which again is, as Adam said, uh, a Baptistic position, just on the covenantal side. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of, yeah, they're giving a Baptists a voice in covenant theology, uh, but yet still holding to a level of, of discontinuity as, as the dispensationalists do. So
2: we could say that things have gotten a bit messy. Yeah, uh, it used to be a lot, you know, clearer. Clearer what it was and like. cleaner. If you're yeah. Presbyterian, this is what you are. If you're Baptist, this is what you are. And yep and now we're um kind of co-mingling together and
0: yeah it's, things are getting a little confusing yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and which means that we have to read more and <laughs> and uh oh, and be more nuanced but we're going to try our best to be nuanced obviously we can't give a whole you know discourse on this stuff and have this podcast be you know you know 5 hours long we're going to try to keep it to a reasonable length but yeah
1: so where should we start i mean maybe a good place to start is just um, because, because you mentioned a couple of things, like you mentioned Israel, you yeah. mentioned the church, and you mentioned the kingdom. Yeah. Uh well we spent quite a bit of time talking defining what the church is. Right. Maybe we should just start really basic and this will take a short time, defining what a kingdom is. Yeah, yeah. Do well, we want to
0: start in Genesis one <laughs> with the cultural mandate? So this is this is basic, you know, Bible right here. Like what what, what was man's original purpose? Like what did God put? man on earth to do and in the very beginning of genesis we see what we call the cultural mandate and and i'll just read a portion of genesis 1 for you um then god said let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion there's that kind of this world here dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all earth all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them Everything that has breath, the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So, we have these two words: dominion, subdue, and and that was mankind's purpose: subdue the earth, uh, represent God on earth. Obviously, an image bearer is a representation of God. You image God, and and a part of that imaging is. Well, God is the ruler of all creation, and mankind now is is made to rule God's physical order, the earth, and and to the term we
2: like to use is uh, vice regents. Yeah, right. Yeah. That they are to represent God on
0: earth exactly, and to serve in His place to steward creation. Yes. So, in in a sense, this is this is kingdom work. This is uh the Garden of Eden, is 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 in a sense the kingdom. Uh, the earth, in a sense, is the kingdom. And mankind is to multiply across it, subdue it, bring the animals in subjection underneath you, uh, spread, cultivate the earth, put it into order, uh, and then obviously rule this this created order, you know, representing God as the one who rules all creation. So the kingdom itself is, is you know, it's societal, it's social. Like, it's the kingdom incorporates people in the in their relationships obviously as adam and eve would come to have children and their children would have children you would start to spread out and you would have all these different families and clans and obviously we see that as we get into genesis as as yeah people ha- have children and they create these tribes and families and clans and then these eventually nations mm-hmm. and so that's that's a part of the kingdom uh and and uh Obviously, animals are a part of the kingdom and and subduing and and ruling over the animals even, having subjection over them. So there's that. Obviously, eventually, we'll get to the political aspect of it. I was going to say this is
2: obviously as big and broad of a picture as you get in terms of the kingdom, right? We're talking about a global dimension here, and eventually this is going to be funneled um, down into Mm -hmm. something much more specific. Yeah uh as you get into the abrahamic covenant or right. the davidic covenant right and then it's like well we still have this concept of there being a rule on the earth yeah mm-hmm. um now it's going to be from a specific location where we get this idea of uh, a ruler um that is going to be in jerusalem yeah right a uh, descendant of david who's going to rule on the earth over the earth and uh and then there's going to be other nations involved, right? So now this thing is expanded from Adam and Eve to not just their family to now of course many tribes and tongues and nations, yep. right? And uh so this takes shape as the Bible continues to move ahead. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Cuz cuz on, on even on a basic level, um, like as we understand a kingdom uh to even even today, uh a kingdom has has borders. Yep. Um, so it, it's a it's a place. Um, it has people, right? Uh, and it has it has an authority over it. Yes, yeah, exactly. I was, was going
2: to say, and also law. laws. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, as you think about the, uh, especially the Davidic covenant, right? right. And mm-hmm. uh, well. The New Covenant, ultimately, the law of God being written within the hearts of his people right mm-hmm. uh, but you still have a descendant of David who is going to be uh, serving in that place of authority right over the people mm-hmm. right
1: yeah and so you know if you, if you think about those things so in <clears throat> in Genesis 15 well, you could say 12, 15, 17, 17 19. Right? Yeah. <laughs> we see we see God promised to Abraham um, the the land. Yep. Right, so the place that the kingdom will be, um, and then, um, you know, in, in the book of Exodus you see the law given, uh, and then in Second Samuel seven, um, you know, uh, God speaks uh, to David through Nathan, um, and it says, "When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you." ...who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Uh, and I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my, steadpa- my steadfast love shall not depart from him, uh, as I took it from uh, Saul, whom you put, uh, whom you put away or whom I put away before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Um, and so there we see God promised David, um, David and his lineage. Right. The, the, the ruler. Right.
0: Yes, the ruler of the kingdom will be from the seed of David, mm-hmm. for sure. So if we back up a little bit, we have cultural mandate in the very beginning, Genesis, before sin even entered the world, Adam and Eve, you know, they're they are they are to rule in God's in God's stead. They're to be vice regents, as Cody said. Uh, this this kingdom, you know, think of the Garden of Eden as a place where heaven meets earth. It's both spiritual, it's both physical. So that's in, important to realize. Like some have said, the kingdom is only spiritual, or and that's not fully true. The kingdom is spiritual and physical. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's that. Now, obviously, when there's there's a law given, there's a commandment given even in the garden, don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but obviously, when sin does enter into the world and they do eat of the tree, a further law needs to be given, further stipulations. We get that, as Adam said, in the Mosaic Law. Uh, but, yeah, think of, too, like, as you work through the first, you know, 11, 12 chapters, well, 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, yeah, obviously, we get to a point to where only... Evil is on the earth. People are doing what's right in their own eyes. There is there is it's evil continually. So God mm-hmm. floods the earth, and then He saves Noah and his family, you know, in the ark, and then He makes a covenant with Noah, and it's this general broad covenant, this Noahic covenant. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a type of new covenant, but it's 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 a common grace type covenant. It's mm-hmm. it creates this this uh, what am I stability? There, that's the word I'm looking for. So that the other covenants can progress, so that you know humankind isn't isn't going to get destroyed again. Obviously, humanity is just as evil as they were before the Noahic covenant. So, yeah, the Noahic covenant gives us stability for the rest of God's plan to unfold, and and He gives Noah and his and his children the same command: be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Like, go, spread, do what you what Adam and Eve what I told them to do. And what happens? They localize into a place in Babel and make a name for themselves. Yep, and they, Let's build a tower. We're prideful. We don't need to spread. We have one language. We are one people. There's nothing that's impossible for us to do.
2: And it was, uh, it was just a rebellious act. It was. It, it was, was exactly completely that. Completely against what God said to do. Yep. Spread out and rule. Yep. Became. Let's stay here. Yep. And build up our. Own kingdom, our own in image, this one yep. place yep.
0: exactly. So that was wicked in God's eye. So what did He do? He confused their language, and then He spread them across the globe, and He created nations with with you know, unique languages too. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that's you. That's extremely significant because, as we mentioned in the last podcast, we read Revelation seven nine. I mean, think of the Great Commission too. This reality, like. Somebody from every tongue, tribe, and nation is going to be saved, is going to be in the heavenly assembly, the new heavens and the new earth, uh, worshiping God God forever. And God desired that diversity, Mm -hmm. uh, that diversity of of nations, that diversity of ethnicity, that diversity of language, worshiping him. So this was a part of his sovereign way of bringing that about. Um, So nonetheless, when we get to Acts 2 and Pentecost— which we would say that was the founding of the church. The church was founded at Pentecost. What is Pentecost? It is, it is Christ. It's a reversal of Babel. It's a reclaiming of the nations. The re- re- nations were created at the Tower of Babel where God confused language. And then in Acts 2, it's a reclamation of those nations that he had made where now everybody's hearing the gospel message, the message of the kingdom in their own native tongue. So he creates nations at Babel, he reclaims the nations at Pentecost, um, and obviously through the gospel work and the Great Commission that we're presently doing right now. Mm -hmm. So that's an amazing thing. So the kingdom is comprised of nations, and nations have borders and boundaries, and nations have laws, and nations have rulers, and and the Davidic covenant, who's going to be the ruler of the nations? It's going to be the seed of David, who we know is Christ. And then the Abrahamic covenant. I mean, obviously, that is an interesting reality too. Like, through his seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Well, who's that seed? Well, it's Christ. But the thing about the Abrahamic covenant that confuses people in this whole discussion between on the relationship between Israel and the church is there was a physical seed, of Abraham, and there was a spiritual seed mm-hmm. promised, so why is that distinction of physical and spiritual seed so significant for this discussion? Do you think well, I think we have to avoid
2: the um uh, mistake of an either or, sure, right, where we see again a relationship where it's a both hand where um you know when it comes to um the seed that there are multiple senses in which the word is used. And that brings clarity to, I guess the language of the new Testament and what we see, how Gentiles are referred to. And it's like, you know, you can be in one sense, a child of Abraham in a spiritual sense. And yet um, there still seems to be language in which we are led to the conclusion that um, there's still an ethnic Mm -hmm. uh, group. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we're just trying to sort these things out. Yeah, and not combine um, things just because
0: the the same you know Work. word is used. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. You have any thoughts on that, Adam? Yeah, I mean, so uh, I think a couple things are worth are worth mentioning. Um, it, Paul tells us that, uh, he, like he goes to great lengths in in Romans to explain how it was. Abraham's faith that caused him to be righteous right um, and that before God gave the law to Moses uh, Abraham was was deemed righteous because of his faith. Mm-hmm. so it's not by by works that one can obtain salvation right, right. and then, and by that, anyone who believes in Christ through faith is then a spiritual child of Abraham. Mm, mm-hmm. Okay, so that that's the logic. Um, but also, like in a completely separate part of Scripture, um, Paul refers to Timothy as his child in the faith. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is the same concept right i mean it's it's not a it's not a different concept at all uh timothy is paul's spiritual s- child and uh it's and and we understand that like and people even use that today as like oh yeah i mean this is the person who led me to christ they're my spiritual father sure well i mean it's the same way with abraham even though he lived thousands of years ago uh it's it's just that kind of a concept and so if we can understand that concept with somebody who lives at the same time as us but may have led us to christ or led somebody else to christ and we see that kind of a relationship that's a kind of relationship that we're talking about with with abraham and the gentiles sure Uh, yeah so where people get confused is
0: the the nation of Israel, again, was God's old covenant people. And from Abraham, obviously, the promises were passed down to his son Isaac. Uh, not Ishmael, but Isaac. And then from Isaac to Jacob, and then from Jacob to his 12 sons, who became the 12 tribes of Israel. Mm-hmm. And they are clearly a physical people. Mm-hmm. Like, Isaac was his physical son, mm-hmm. you know. And he passed a physical seed to his wife, Sarah. And, you know, obviously people understand what's going on there. (laughs) Like, literally, physical. So, yet there was still this reality of a spiritual seed. Uh, If you were given the promises, inherited the promises, you also were, in a sense, a a spiritual seed of Abraham, too. A spiritual offspring, if you believed in Yahweh by faith and we're in this covenant community, and you work to put the law on your heart. So we, what we see in Israel, though, and this is where it gets confusing, is we, it's a mixed community. Mm-hmm. It was, from the very foundation, a mixed community. And it's mixed because, one, everybody is a part of the covenant community by birth. If you're born a Jew, you're a Jew. Yeah. But there's this added element, though, but not... Not all Jews are of the spiritual seed, mm-hmm. because you still
2: have to. A point that Paul really drives home. Exactly. In Romans Nine through eleven, right? right? Yes.
1: That not all Israel is Israel. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, but but that that's something that also comes up in the Old Testament, right? Yeah. yeah I mean. Oh, for sure. Like, you know, when when Elijah is fleeing from uh, from Jezebel, right? Yeah. I mean that that's. That's a proclamation that he makes. He's like, I and I only am yeah. left. There's yeah. nobody else, Lord. There's there's nobody else. And <laughs> right. God's like, I have kept my remnant. Yeah. There are and I forget I forget the number, but he's like, there are and he gives the number. He's like, you know, there there are this many who have not bowed, bowed the, the knee. Need to bail. To, yeah. the, to the bails. Yeah. yeah. And he, um but it's a small number comparatively to how many Jews exist in the nation. <laughs> right. Uh but the the um but you know i mean that that's a point that that is is evident and like even if you consider the book of malachi right like god is like even if there was just one priest that would be righteous enough to shut the doors of the temple right mm-hmm. yeah. um so it's it's evident throughout i mean even in the wilderness when you know um when god God judges and kills the unrighteous of those yeah. so that the righteous can move on. Yeah. Uh, it's evident that not all of Israel um, was was truly uh, righteous and believing. Right, that they
0: not all Israel, you know, ethnic, physical Israel, born a Jew, actually had the faith of Abraham. Mm-hmm. So that's why when you read through Deuteronomy and Moses is giving his last speech to the people before they're going to enter the promised land, he's going to be killed. Uh, Like he's urging them, like you have to internalize this law. Mm-hmm. You have to put it on your heart. You have to do this from the heart. That was the whole reality. Like, yeah, you are the people of God. But there is there's this added element of faith that you need to have. And. The Old Testament saints that we would say are are saved, you know, Moses we would say, David certainly was saved, plenty of Old Testament saints that we'd say are in heaven right now, they're part of the one people of God, they'll be in the new heavens and the new earth. If we follow Adam from the last episode, they're also the bride of Christ, part of the bride of Christ. Uh, but again, they're, that it was a mixed community. Yeah. Not everybody had that faith.
2: Yeah. And the lack of having the law written on their hearts. Moses spoke to that. Yeah. And he prophesied. You know, I mean, here's is Israel going, all this we will do, all this we will yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then Moses is <laughs> like... We will, we will. Uh, no, actually you won't. Yeah. And as soon as I'm gone, you know, this is what you're going to do. You're going to turn away from it. And, yep.
0: Yep. And that's why the promise of the new covenant was so key. hmm So let's... Yeah, I just want to really, really, really hammer home that the nation of Israel, yes, they were God's old covenant community, but they were a mixed community. Some had the faith of Abraham. Some were just physical, just the physical descendants. Well, all were the physical descendants, and only some had the the faith of Abraham. And so there was multiple
2: senses of Israel, even in the Old Testament. Yeah. And we see that continued when we get to the New
0: Testament as well. So -hmm. then when we come to... Jeremiah 31 and the new covenant promise, I think it's really important to realize what, what is actually being said here because it's, it's key. Um, Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. That's key right there. Uh, For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, this new covenant promised, one... Like it's built on this rea- reality of the forgiveness of sins. Like I will remember their sin no more. Mm-hmm. Like it's built on obviously we would say that's fulfilled in Christ. Like Christ died for the sins of, 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 his people. But the this key phrase of obviously the heart, the lobbying of the heart is key. But also, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor. And to each his brother, know the Lord. What does he mean by that? What is Jeremiah saying by this? Well, he's saying like, hey, because Israel is a mixed community, it's you're born, you're born physically a Jew and into the nation. But then you have to be taught, know the Lord. And that's what Moses was urging his people. Put the law in your heart. Put the law in your heart. Like trust in the Lord. Like have the faith of Abraham. It's this added thing. This next thing that you have to do. So, the New Covenant community, this won't have to take place. What's he saying? Everyone who is a member of the New Covenant community knows the Lord, has the law written on their heart, is, has faith, has the faith of Abraham. That's why we say that as Baptists, we believe in regenerate church membership. We believe that the New Covenant community is only those who have faith in Christ it's not a
2: physical people, yeah like, and hence the change in the sign, right exactly Again, we see baptism as representing something new, not something old, right right where um Presbyterians would say, well, you know it in New testament that is the um essentially the the equivalent of circumcision in the Old Testament, yeah, and it's you just identifying with a group, yes, and it's like, well but we say that comes after salvation because there is a distinction between a physical representation of something and then somebody actually being spiritually in Christ, right? right. And in uh, so far as we are able, we try to make sure that those two things align. Yeah. But in the Old Testament, it was very different because the sign of circumcision was just given to absolutely every male yep. that was born into Israel,
0: right? Whether they had the faith of Abraham or not. Mm-hmm.
2: So our, our sign is exclusive, yep. um, only to be performed on those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Right,
0: exactly, who are of the spiritual seed of Abraham. Yep. So that's, again, that, that creates this amazing distinction between Israel and the Church. Obviously there's continuity, no doubt about it, but there is distinction. Yeah, and the
2: big question is always like, okay, we continue to see this global plan, We are continuing to see that there's a plan, not just for Israel, but Israel having this unique place within the nations. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so you're going, how is this going to get fleshed out? And how is it that all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed? Right. So that this promise to Abraham is going to carry over into tribes and tongues and nations. Right. But yet how there still seems to be this unique... Place. Place for Israel. Yeah. Right? And that's the tension. That is the tension. And so when you come into the New Testament, that tension only builds because you're going, how do we put all these pieces together yeah. and what exactly is going on with now what seems to be this surprising group of people at Pentecost, this yeah. this thing that, you know, was like, where did the church come from? Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: Exactly. Yes. Yeah, so what, what people have... The position that we're against right now is what has technically been called supersessionism, which is this idea that ch- the church has replaced Israel, that there is no more – there's no future for Israel. Israel as a nation is done. It becomes the church. It is the church, and the church has replaced it. But that is so incoherent to me. It doesn't make any sense, especially given the eschatological um, texts that we do have. Every Somebody from – Every tongue, tribe, and nation. Every nation is going to be re- represented. Physical nation. Yep. In the new heavens and new earth, worshiping God in this heavenly assembly. Is Israel was a legitimate nation. Mm-hmm. They were... The, God chose Abraham and made him a nation. And they were the least of the nations. They were the smallest. They were the most insignificant, but he made them his people. Yeah,
2: and you see even in the Old Testament... Again, the hope of salvation for other nations is still there, right? Because Israel was this mediatorial nation that they were...
0: They were to be a blessing then to the nations.
2: Right. And other people, and we see this with Rahab and others, right? All of a sudden found themselves connected to Israel.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Brought in. So the idea that there is no future for the nation of Israel does not fit scripture. It just doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't make sense to, in light of the Great Commission, it doesn't make sense in light of, of you know, Revelation 7 and 9 and in the future, it just doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't Israel as a nation be represented, if all the other nations are? So, the church is not Israel. So, what is the church then? I mean, we've already defined it though, a New Covenant community, it's a spiritual people. Mm-hmm. And it's comprised of people from all these physical nations.
1: well the 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 church is a is a unique entity yeah yeah um and i think i think where some confusion comes in is people um people tend to mix up what gentiles are with what the church is Mm. and i like for example in Romans 11 when Paul uses the metaphor of the olive trees yeah. um i think people tend to think that the church is the second olive tree when that is that's not what Paul is saying what Paul is saying is that there are Jews there there, there is Israel um which is the first olive tree um so ethnic Jews mm-hmm. and then there are gentiles mm-hmm. and Gentiles are the wild olive tree right um, he's not speaking about the church there and so and what he's doing is he's Paul is saying no like the the Jews are the, are the first olive tree in that and Abraham and the patriarchs and the scriptures are the root of that tree and those who those Jews who didn't believe are the branches that God broke off so that he could graft in Gentiles into this people of God. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think people have a tendency to conflate uh, the Church and Gentiles, because uh, after Pentecost, we see the Gospel spread out. Yeah. And and it's true that, you know, in the Church age, um, the focus is more on spreading the Gospel outside of Israel to the world, Mm -hmm. but... That doesn't mean that Jews aren't part of the church. I mean, there's, there's... well, it
2: starts with them,
1: yeah, right? right? And that was the that was
2: the whole point, mm-hmm. where it's like Jesus picks his disciples, right? Who are those guys going to be? They're all going to be Jews, right? Right, <laughs> and and you have this amazing work happen, Pentecost, right, taking place in Jerusalem while Passover is being
1: celebrated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if, if, even if we take one step back from that, um, yeah, like, or one step back from Pentecost, if we think about the New Covenant, who did Jesus give the New Covenant to? Well, he gave the New Covenant to 11 Jews, mm-hmm. right?
2: And we can even, as we study through Matthew, right? I mean, but he sends out in Matthew 10, he sends out the disciples to who first? To the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Yeah
1: yeah but you know but it, it is significant right because in, in the passage you read from Jeremiah Sam, um right. God promises to to give a new covenant to his people, Israel first, yeah right I mean that, that was pretty explicit in that Jeremiah yeah. passage, and what does Jesus do? Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood given to you and for all people, yeah right so um but he's he's speaking those words to his disciples. Who are you? Who are eleven Jewish men? Yeah, well, right, and that's the thing. And the gospel was first preached to the Jews. Yeah, yeah, and John the Baptist, right, um, in in Matthew three, says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand." Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then Jesus repeats that in um, in when, when when he comes out of out of his temptation in Matthew four, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand."
0: Right. Okay, so. You have some things you want to say well i was like.
1: just gonna say now that you get to the church
2: right and yeah. we're still hearing kingdom language and yeah. i think that's just a great bridge for us yeah. so it's like you know what was conceived of in terms of the kingdom and right. i think the assumption has to be um you know these people had an old testament understanding of the kingdom right so yeah. um that's the hermeneutic that we're following exactly. that gets us to where we're at where it's like you know Did did they only think in spiritual terms? No, No. they were still thinking in terms of there's going to be boundaries, there's going to be a law, there's going to be authority, there's going to be a society, there's going to be all of these different aspects coming together. Mm -hmm. But still, it did shake them, right, in terms of their understanding, where they're going, how does this all get worked out? And what relationship do we have with the Gentiles? And now, if we've got this new community, the Church, you know, do Gentiles, do they need to become um like us and they're you know do they have to
1: get circumcised and do they have to yeah well and and I think you know, uh, to your point, I think a really good illustration of this is in acts one um I was just gonna read it <laughs> yeah so in in acts one um verse three so this is after the after the crucifixion burial and resurrection of Christ or, or yeah after the resurrection of Christ in uh chapter one of acts verse three. It says, he, this is Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Mm. Uh, And then down in verse 6, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So this is the disciples' question to to Jesus after Jesus had been speaking to them about the kingdom for 40 days. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus in verse 7, it says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Um, and and the, and then then the ascension occurs. But this is fascinating because after Jesus has been teaching them for forty days about the kingdom, their question is, "Okay, well, so are, are you going to restore it now?" Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jesus' answer to them is not, "Is is not you fools? I've just been telling you that there is no kingdom." Yeah, I'm telling you, the church is the kingdom. The kingdom right. started. I was
2: raised from the dead. Yeah. I am now reigning in all the ways that I promised you in the Old Testament, right? I mean, that's not what's going on. Right,
1: and and he didn't say, guys, I just got raised from the dead. You still don't get it? (laughs) Right? No, he said, it's not for you to know the time. Just go out and proclaim the gospel. And... And you'll get the Holy Spirit. Everything's going to be fine. Just go do your job. Right. Yeah. You... I. I. I uh, so I wanted to point out. Yeah. Just some things that might be
2: helpful. Right. I'm pulling uh, these ideas from the case for progressive dispensationalism Ooh. by Robert Saucy. But you know, as we've talking about the kingdom, and we can think in terms of just the things that we've mentioned here, um, two different categories. We're talking about first, we talked about the imminence of the kingdom. Right. Yeah. When Jesus was on the earth, he was. He was offering something that was connected to the kingdom. Oh, yeah. He talked about how the kingdom was near. Mm. Um, you know, Michael Vlock, my professor, you know, he would always describe that word being perhaps best translated as "on the brink." Mm. Right? It's on the cusp. Like we're coming up to something, as though at any moment we could cross over into it. Mm. Right? And so that was the offer of the kingdom, but of course that offer was ultimately rejected. Right But the idea is that if the Jews would have accepted the offer at that time, the kingdom would have been established. Mm. they didn't accept it, right So all of a sudden it delayed the coming of the kingdom. And now here we have, as we just talked about this time where Jesus is educating the disciples after the resurrection yeah. and and this is the second category where the kingdom is future mm. right it's it's now future um, so it's not here yet. Um, But now the work of the church is still connected to the kingdom, and the church is anticipating the kingdom to
0: arrive at some point. Yeah. So when is it going to come? The tension continues. (laughs) And that's so great, and I think that's, like, the the nation of Israel and the reign of Israel, and especially, like, uh, typified in Solomon's reign, where... The temple is built, and then you start to see, like, Israel's influence going out to the nations surrounding Israel. And And you
2: got the Queen of Sheba, right? I mean, that's the significance of that. that.
0: At that point, too, like, Ethiopia was considered to be, like, the edge of the world. So the fact that the Queen of Sheba, coming from the forest of lands, to come hear the wisdom of Solomon and be instructed by him and taught by him, this you know he's the Davidic heir. Like that is so significant, and it's it's physical. There's physical, material prosperity. I mean, think of how much gold, silver, and bronze they had. Like it was just incredible. There was physical borders. All of that was a part of this of this kingdom, and that obviously after Solomon, the 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 reign. Um, Israel is divided into the north and the south, and all kind of just goes downhill from there. But that's a type, and and it gives us a good glimpse of what what the kingdom is going to look like in the future. But what is going on in the church right now is not that yet. Mm-hmm. What the church is doing is it's collecting kingdom citizens mm-hmm. from the different nations. Yep. We're collecting the kingdom citizens, and and then these things will be further uh, fulfilled in what we would call the millennial reign.
2: So can I, can I yeah. just like maybe plug what you hear people say a lot? Yeah. Where Do it's it. like, Hey, you know, in the church we're building the kingdom. Yeah. Right. And we, you hear that a lot. Yeah. By pastors or people in the church, like, man, we're doing kingdom work here. We're building the kingdom. Yeah. And you know, when we get down to what they actually mean by it, there are things that we agree with. Right. Right. But by and large, Um, If you're talking about building the kingdom, um, we're still kind of thinking in terms of, at least if we're thinking according to the Old Testament, right, we're still thinking about kingdom, there's boundaries, there's borders, there's people, there's laws, there's all these different things where it's like, okay, so can the Church technically build the kingdom? Well, one thing that we do is we invite people to become citizens of the kingdom. Yes. Right, so we are engaged in that work where we are involved in the spiritual side of this kingdom. There's a spiritual ministry given to the Church that certainly connects with the kingdom, right? But in terms of, are we putting brick upon brick and, you know, building up a structure and, you know, laying the ground? No, it's like we're not doing that. So we're not building um, the kingdom physically, and there is a physical dimension to this kingdom, but we are contributing to the advancement of the kingdom. Yes. citizens that will be included in the kingdom.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And that's why this is such an eschatological issue because in postmillennialism you are you are building they believe in a physical kingdom too, but it's now, it's the church age. So the church is the one building the physical kingdom. And that's why in postmillennial theology you do have a, eventually you'll have a time when every nation will be a Christian nation. And this ties into this whole debate on Christian nationalism and all that stuff is part of this discussion. But that's why um, an understanding of the relationship between the church and Israel and the physical seed and the spiritual seed and the covenants, is it's so part of this discussion. And it, and it inevitably leads to an eschatological position. And we're saying that the way that we're understanding the covenants and the kingdom and Israel and the church leads to this reality, well, there has to be a millennial reign where these things are f- are fulfilled and we see these things incorporated because the kingdom that was defined in the Old Testament, we not we can't see it, we don't see it in the church age. And yet we do have these clear promises, especially in Revelation and these pictures of Christ coming back and inaugurating and are consummating a spiritual or a physical reign where he's on earth, reigning from the Davidic throne over the nations. And I want to read Isaiah 2 as kind of like even an Old Testament picture of this. Um, Yeah, just listen to this. Isaiah 2, the word that Isaiah, the son of uh, Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. "It It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations. He shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall be their, They shall beat their swords and plowshares and their spears into pruning uh, hooks Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So that hasn't happened yet. Like the nations, no war, total peace. They're all flocking to Zion. They're all flocking to this Davidic heir, Lord Yahweh. uh, And he's teaching them the law. And this is a physical reality. Like that, this is clearly what we would call a premillennial text. Mm -hmm. This is talking about the millennial reign. In my mind, there's no other way to interpret this, but obviously... Plenty would disagree with me <laughs> 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 yeah. so yeah and and so you know getting back to what
2: you said about jeremiah right where yeah. you read about this act of forgiveness of sins right so yeah. i mean that's the work that we're involved in we exactly. have a message of the kingdom uh, we can tell you about the king of the kingdom yep. uh, we can articulate the benefits uh, of what this king has accomplished yep. he brings salvation he brings forgiveness of sins uh, but that is not to say that there is no longer a physical dimension to this kingdom. There right. is. And you see it uh, not only iterated in Isaiah, right? But I mean, you get to the uh, post exilic prophets, and it's like there's still this yeah. idea of yeah. no, there's a kingdom that's going to be in Jerusalem with a people. Mm-hmm. And it would have been a great time, you know, after Solomon and after the kingdom had become divided to just say, you know what, guys, um, given up on that, totally done. This idea you had in mind <laughs> uh, is just. Totally off, you know. You need to change everything you thought, but that didn't happen, and that's why it's so powerful to think about the beginning of Acts, where it's like they're still thinking in the same terms: mm-hmm. physical, uh, earthly, uh, political kingdom. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and also, you know, it's it's worth pointing out that in Genesis fifteen, uh, <clears throat> verses eighteen through twenty-one, uh, God God promises to Abraham. A land with very specific boundaries yeah so it says on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates the land of the Kenites uh, the Kenizzites the Kadamites the Hittites the Perizzites the the Rephaim the Amorites the Canaanites the Girgashites and the Jebusites <clears throat> the um, uh, the nation of Israel has not to this day uh, so to today in uh, June 13th of 2023 uh, occupied uh, that entire piece of land mm. um, so from the time in uh, so from the time that God spoke those words to to Abraham to today um, the nation of Israel has not occupied that entire piece of land. so this promise is yet, unfulfilled and and i think that that's the big issue for those that are coming from the dispensational side of of the interpretation is to say well god is faithful to his promises and abraham would have understood this promise to be that his descendants will hold that entire piece of land will occupy that entire piece of land because god promised to give it to him And if God has not yet fulfilled that promise, then God will, at some point, fulfill that promise in the way that he spoke it to Abraham.
2: Because the gifts and the calling of
1: God are irrevocable. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, at some point then, in, um, in the future, that has to be done to the nation of Israel. Right. Because those are the physical descendants of Abraham.
0: Right. Right. And even think about this, when Jesus is, you know, doing his ministry with his disciples on earth, uh, we come—you just—who preached on this? You guys just—have you preached in Matthew 19 already? Yeah. Did you do this one, the rich young man, and then after that—
1: No, that's Adam.
0: Yeah, so like, okay, this should be pretty fresh on your mind, shouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously the rich young man comes to him and basically asks him, what do I have to do to inherit Mm eternal life, and— Blah, 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 blah. It finally says, sell all, you, all your possessions and give it to the poor. And he goes away sad. And then, and then this is what's key to me. Uh, and Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? <laughs> but Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, listen to this. Truly I say to you, in the new world, which is, we would translate even as in the regeneration, the time of the regeneration, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house and brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. So,
1: yeah. Okay. So it's it's important that that thing that you said about in the regeneration. Yeah. Right. Because uh, uh, a lot of the English translations say new world. There. Right. Not not all of them, but many of them do. But that that term is actually only used like... um. Like one other place, really, yeah. in in the New Testament, uh, if I remember right from from my study, it m- might be two. But um, like in, in, the other place that it's used is in Titus, mm. where Paul talks about um, in individuals regeneration, yeah. and he's talking about salvation, <sighs> right? So he's talking about like a spiritual regeneration, like again, yeah. spiritual new birth. Yeah, um, he's so um, he's talking about something that already exists. Mm. being regenerated um, not not a recreate like, like like not a brand new creation right which is very important to understand because Key. that it, it's it's actually a a very very poor like almost like irresponsible translation to say new world yeah um, so regeneration w- um, is is a much better Phrase, like, yeah, because we're talking about a world that exists that's regenerated, which is um, definitely the Old Testament picture that we get of this period Mm. where, like, the curse gets lifted, yeah, right, which we see in in the Old Testament, um, and uh, so like you know in Isaiah in, in Isaiah we see that too a couple different times where there's this there's this period where there's this Immense peace and like extremely long life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Isaiah uh, sixty-five. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. If you die
0: at hundred, you're like you do, you died young. What's yeah. going on? Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so then, uh, so then another interesting aspect about that is Jesus promises that they will rule with him. Can, can can you read that that second part again?
0: Yeah. Yeah. When the Son of Man will sit on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will will also sit on 12 thrones, judging yeah. the 12 tribes of Israel.
1: So, he says, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. Yeah. So, let's think about that for a moment. So, Jesus says that that he will sit on his glorious throne. So, what is Jesus' throne?
0: It's One, he's talking about a future thing.
1: Right. And he's tying it to
0: the time of the regeneration. That's key. Mm-hmm. It's not right now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, and that's where a lot of people say, well
1: you know, well, isn't Christ reigning?
0: And we'd say yes. Yes. Already, not yet.
1: But is Christ sitting on a throne currently?
0: And as a progressive dispensationalist, this is what marks me off from Revised or Classical. I would say yes, he is currently seated on the Davidic throne, but it's only the uh, already spiritual reality, the not yet part of it. There is this future fuller, Physical on Earth in the time of the regeneration that hasn't happened yet. That's not happening right now.
2: Hmm. Because, Interesting, because I would not, I would not say he's on the Davidic throne right now.
1: Yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't would say either. that
2: he is certainly seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he is well, reigning and ruling from on high. Right? Maybe
0: you need to read uh, Craig Blacene and Daryl Bach's progressive dispensationalism one more time. Well, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps I well, do. But I guess,
2: I guess, I guess, in my mind, I guess I've always connected the the Davidic. Yeah. um throne to be very specific uh, to the throne in Jerusalem right. and yeah until Jesus is sitting on a throne in Jerusalem uh, it's tough for me to say he's on the davidic throne though i would obviously again say he's ruling and reigning
1: yeah yeah cuz christ christ I, I would i would say i think I, I think i agree with with pastor cody here i would say that christ rules and reigns uh in in the concept of God has given him all authority. But um all throughout scripture we see uh we we do see a member of the Trinity in heaven on a throne, but it is always the Father. Uh for example in Revelation four when John when when John has um a vision in heaven who does John see on the throne in heaven he sees he sees the father um even in in daniel when when daniel sees the ancient of days um he sees the father um and so it it's it's always the father that we see on the throne in heaven um and so but in revelation 3 Verse 21, Jesus says something very interesting. He says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered, and sat down with my father on his throne. And this is this is fascinating because Jesus Himself has a distinction between his throne, and the Father's throne.
2: I was going to ask if this is going to come back to Psalm 110, a passage that you're preparing to preach, where the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies
1: my footstool. Um, it's interesting, it, it might, but, um, but actually th- this goes back to the Matthew 19 passage, um, and I credit um, Michael Vlock, um, for that, because um, Michael Vlock points points this out that um, the throne that Jesus claims is the Davidic throne, not the heaven, not the throne in heaven, which is the Father's throne, um, and that that it's an important distinction um, that Jesus Himself makes in Revelation three twenty one, hmm. that the two thrones are different. And something that, that I find sort of fascinating is that as we think about the world as it exists today, um, you can you can say that there is somebody currently sitting on the Davidic throne on earth. You know, Israel has a leader, Israel has a prime minister, it's currently Netanyahu, right? And he's 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 ruling over Israel physically. Uh you know, I mean He's just keeping the seat warm, <laughs> right? Eventually, Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule over Israel, and uh, you know, I mean, somebody's just sitting there doing the administrative work. Mm-hmm. What do you what do you think, Sam?
0: Oh, I was just trying to search through my progressive dispensational book because I I do know for a fact that progressive dispensational the hallmark of it that sets it against or er- Apart from revised, is that they believe the already not yet ruling of Christ from the Davidic throne that he is already ruling from it spiritually and he will have a a future fuller physical reign on the Davidic throne, and that that is the that is where guys like Ryrie, Charles Ryrie will will point at progressive dispensationalism and say you're not dispensationalist enough. You're that's just covenant theology.
2: That's hilarious. Yeah. So. It's funny to me because whatever you want to call it, we're still explaining the same thing happening. Yeah, yeah. We're already saying that there's a lot that has yet to happen. Right. But we agree on what has happened. Right. right? We agree that forgiveness of sins has come. We agree that the atoning work necessary for there to be forgiveness of sins has come. So, uh, you know, whether you want to call it the Davidic throne or not, even if he's on the Davidic throne, there's still more yet to do. If he's not on the Davidic throne, there's still more left yet to do. Yeah.
0: I can't find it. I was gonna quote so,
2: them, but how much how much are we to make of these uh you know Quibbles. distinctions? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I think. Yeah.
0: For the for the average person, probably not much. For the uh
2: I consider myself very average or below average. Yeah,
0: yeah. I have to I have to be detailed though. Um
2: But I'm not a PhD student. I'm just a, you know Right. I'm just a pastor of a local congregation in the middle of North
0: Dakota. Right. So so you're basically nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Yo. Why am I even talking to you? <laughs> okay. So what we... I mean, we've basically covered everything I think I would want to cover. Like, we've come to the conclusion that given the nature of the kingdom and how it's described in the Old Testament, there there has to be... If we don't just radically change what the kingdom is... And just totally strip it of everything but a spiritual aspect to it, well then there has to be a future fulfillment where these things take place and 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 Christ rules physically on earth from this Davidic throne over the nations over the nation of Israel, which then and a part of that is ruling over all nations then. And even his disciples are promised to sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes. What's this word judging? I mean it's it's the same idea of of settling disputes. Like what is I what did Isaiah 2 say? This, this Yahweh was going to be on the mountain of the Lord and people from all over were going to come and he was going to settle their disputes. He was going to judge them. And it's what Moses did when, when people would come to him and he would settle their disputes. It's what Solomon did when people would come to him. Think of the two women and the child and he would settle their disputes. So it's this picture of of what the the civil magistrate does in the kingdom using the law he settles disputes he judges and and Christ promises his his disciples these 12 thrones they're going to be in a position of authority and they're going to rule and he even promises Paul promises the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 6 like he's rebuking them hey you, you brother is bringing Brother to court to these secular courts to settle their disputes. And he's saying, don't you know that you're going to you're going to do this in my kingdom basically in, in in Christ's kingdom? like you're going to be doing this, you're going to judge angels. so you can't settle each other's disputes inside the church. you have to go to secular rulers to do this. Like you're going to be doing this work one day. Isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. It's obviously not right now. <laughs> and what disputes could possibly take place in the new heavens and the new earth when everything is perfect it has to be a millennial reign it's the only solution
2: you just plugged a thought i guess i haven't added that to my contemplations i like that
0: oh that's part of yeah but that's a that's something that's a key thing for my dissertation oh this whole okay. idea of judging because i'm going to be talking about what's what's the place of this like what civil law will be administered in the millennial reign mhm if if disputes are being settled, according to what law will they be settled? Well, I'm going to obviously be advocating a type of matured version of the Mosaic law. Anyway, set that aside. I don't want somebody to listen to this and steal my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Vlock,
1: Vlock has a whole section on addressing the, he- the heavenly Davidic throne. Well,
0: yeah, but Vlock's not a progressive dispensationist. Oh, of course not. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's he's he even says he's he's revi- he's in the middle of revised and progressive. So, yes. Anyway, see so even among us there's disagreements.
2: <laughs> well now you know why I was so confused. Yeah, because you're you Cause were taught a, by Locke. I'm a
0: disciple of Locke. I know. And yet at the very beginning of this, I have you saying you're a progressive dispensationalist. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what I exposed to you. <laughs> Well, we've gone over an hour now. Is there anything else you want to add, you guys want to add? I'm satisfied. I am thankful
2: to be called into the ministry of proclaiming the message of
0: the King. Good. No, I mean, I I think we covered quite a bit. We did. Hopefully the, the listener right now is not just totally, you know scatterbrained and confused
1: <laughs> I, you know I, I guess I guess one, one thing we could add is um, you know at, at the end of the day um, the 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 primary thing is that if you're a Christian you you believe that Jesus Christ is physically coming back to this earth amen you have to yep um, and these 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 debates and you know some of these big words um. They don't impact that, right? Um, you know, so uh, all all the sides uh, still believe that Jesus is physically coming back. Yeah, and uh, and, and and that's the important part because uh, that's and they where, all believe he's the King of the Kingdom. Right. <laughs> yep. And yep. um, and that's where we put our hope. Yep. Exactly. So uh, we look forward to that. Amen.
0: It
2: always
1: blesses me to see
2: brothers come together in. And- Think about what they agree on. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks again for listening to the Preach and Persuade podcast. And yes, if you haven't yet, I think most of the listeners who listen to the Preach and Persuade podcast, because I can see analytics and numbers, you have not left a rating on Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to it on or Spotify. So if you could, that would be phenomenal to leave a rating, preferably a five-star rating, because apparently it helps with searchability and discoverability and the algorithm whatever that means uses it to to get this podcast out to more people so that would be a really wonderful gift if you do like this content to just leave a rating and and leave yeah some stars Uh, that would be great but nonetheless thanks for listening and have a great day bye